ten twenty on the school. Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Uh, overwhelmed. Over. Oh, my. Okay. Uh, Why is that? At the thought of... How of, generous uh, our donors have been? Yeah. That is... We'll, we'll get to that. Okay. Uh, that, uh, that is a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. But I'm just thinking, I'm just talking about the gift of gab that you and I have. Because <laughs> we okay. are sitting here... That's one way of putting it. And okay, it's it's come to the point where we spend more time in like there's more consternation about what are we gonna bullshit about at the top of the show than what the actual topic is. Like I feel like we've got so many topics banked, you know, as yeah. ideas that we just go, Which one are you gonna do this week? And then every week we sit here and go, What do you what do you have to start the show off? And yeah. we sit here and, and and what happens is that things that maybe earlier in our run would have been 15 minute things we now realize that we have the ability to turn that into an hour and a half episode so every thought we have is like what about no we should save that for a a whole episode yeah uh so that's what we do now so like we've run out of things to talk about at the top of the show so listeners i'm gonna throw it out to you and see if this happens at all and it's a little test for us i think feel free to email or possibly put on the forum uh, a list of movies, uh, not movies, I'm sorry, a list of topics that you think could work for the top of the show. Yeah. Now, this could be a, this could be a fun test, and it could be it could be like a trivia contest where you try to stump someone. Like, throw out a list of things and see if, if we're like, no, we could take a whole hour on that. Yeah. Either that, or it would be like, that's like a three-minute discussion. Come on. Yeah. So you got to hit that sweet spot, <laughs> something that could provide 15 to possibly 20 minutes of discussion yeah. and no more. Or else we're going to, I mean, like, and we've done it before, just talked about not movies at all for the first 15, 20 minutes, but like. Yeah. And we, I didn't go see any movies this week that I, that I, except for, you know, press screenings that I'll be writing about and I'm not going to talk about those. Right. Uh, so I don't really have anything to talk about except like uh, the Thai New Year Festival that I went to. That's yeah, and, and no one wants to hear about that. Did I say no one? I meant me. I don't want to hear about that. Yeah, people who don't want to hear about it. You know what? People don't want to hear about it because they don't want to know what they're missing out on. Because it is the best. Is that what it is? It is the best thing. We are to get your drunken tweets. <laughs> I only tweeted like twice. Oh, okay. Um, that's how we know you're drunk. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what I did this week. Thai New Year. What'd you do this week? Uh, nothing. My wife has been out of town all week, and so I've just been oh, missing her and uh, trying desperately to fall asleep in an empty bed, which is all, which is surprisingly difficult for me. Oh, yeah, it's very, very sad. sad. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. Oh man, if I had if I had the place to myself for a week, which I will soon, my uh, my girlfriend's going out of town with her. She's sister. getting tired of this whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and she's gonna move out. Um. To the place that she lived in for five years, <laughs> from the place, yeah, uh, no, um, she's going out of town with her with her sister, and um, I'm gonna see uh, how little I can leave the house. I think I, like, I uh, yes, desperately have to leave the house or have someone over or like I saw because right, you yeah. work from the house, so that's not a thing for you. That's Whereas true, me, yeah. like the idea, like I have this place to myself. I'm taking advantage of it. Yeah. I got my stack of like yeah. like delivery menus here. I got some Netflix here. Ordering a cheese pizza all for yourself. 
Yeah. Tricking the delivery guy because you don't feel like paying him because you're an <laughs> asshole. Um, stuff like that. Wait, how do you trick the delivery guy? Home Alone, uh, the the pizza delivery guy, like, oh, that's right. makes the delivery. and So I got to, when I get my Netflix, I got to make sure to get a copy of Angels with Dirty Faces. Exactly. Uh, isn't that, is that the name of the movie he was watching? Is it? Or is that a no, real movie? That's a real movie. Oh, okay. Angels with Filthy Souls. Is the one in the film, oh, right. and then the sequel is 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 Angels with Even Filthier Souls. <laughs> so, um, but but yeah, and so that always bothered me in Home Alone. I'm sorry to bring that up; it's ridiculous. But uh-huh. like, even as a kid, like this this teenager who just works a pizza delivery job. That's it. He's not a criminal who deserves punishment. He just shows up. Kevin McAllister gives him like no tip, and then the teenager has the audacity to, to himself, by the way, say cheapskate, and then Kevin decides, hey, I'm gonna trick this guy and make him think I'm shooting a machine gun at him. Ha ha ha! Everything about me is awesome, and just oh, it just bothers <laughs> me so much. Like that delivery boy didn't do anything. That, that Kevin, he is like his uncle said, a little jerk. Yeah, look, look what, what he did. did. <laughs> <laughs> um, Anyway, so you mentioned the generosity of our of our donors. Absolutely, the time has come. Yeah, you know what the prizes are. We went over it last week. I think we mentioned them last week. Yes, um, that's uh, what I love about the donation drive. We don't have to think of a, a top of the show topic. Yeah. Uh, so here's what we're gonna do because we're recording this earlier than the donation drive ends. Mm-hmm. We're gonna stop in a second, and Tyler later because. He lives in our recording studio. Yeah, um, is going to record an announcement, uh, naming and congratulating the winners, uh, and we'll drop it into the show. So thank you very much for donating. Uh, and without giving a specific amount, here's what I'll say: is that we we've received more than double what we got last year. And yeah. So thank you, everybody. That's it, it. Really, it's very humbling. It means a lot to us that you like the show that it, much. It really does mean a whole lot. And. I'm, you know what? I'm choosing not to believe that it it has to do with the prize packages. I think uh, that's just icing on the cake. We had I great prizes are, last year. What was that? We had great prizes last year. Yeah, but year. not as many prize packages. I see. What you're saying. And so there's there's a more of, more of a likelihood that someone could uh, could win one. Also, of course, those that uh, sign up for like the subscriptions, because I was reluctant to go with anything more than four dollars, and some people opted to subscribe for more than that not to crap on people that could only do two or four we appreciate any, everything literally anything helps a- any and everything helps it's really wonderful but uh but people just we uh, know we weren't always the uh uh <laughs> bourgeois pigs that we are now we right. used to be broke uh yes very much so but uh yeah, I, I, but now david wears a tie <laughs> i'm wearing this nice sweater <laughs> you know you know how much a tie costs I do know how much your ties cost because I look at our BP PayPal account and uh, oh, I'm, I'm paying with <laughs> exactly. You're taking your lady out on the listener's dime. That is not happening. I want to make that. Uh, I know it's lame to step on a joke like that, but I want to make sure the listeners know that uh, the funds for B for that you donate go to the show. And Very the much website. yes, and uh, and so we do appreciate it. And uh, here are the winners. Okay, so what we did is we assigned a number to. Everybody that donated, and then we plugged those numbers into the randomizer, and the randomizer uh, popped out these numbers. So the winner of package number one is Brent Warden. 
The winner of package number two is Jesse Tobiason. The winner of package number three is Megan Witzke. The winner of package number four is Raymond Loy. And the winner of package number five is Jose Zaragoza. So uh, for references on what you guys have won, you can go to the uh, Battleship Pretension donation page. Uh, and so uh, all the winners uh, email me, Tyler at BattleshipPretension.com. Uh, email me your addresses, and we will send that to you as soon as we can. It'll probably be, I'm going to say, four to six weeks. But uh, thank you to everybody for donating. We really do appreciate it. Thank you to everybody. Woo! All right. Congratulations, winners. <laughs> Very exciting. Um, and now, if you're a bigger fan of me than you are of Tyler and you wanted to hear me say your name, I'll say all the names next week. I'll incorporate a lot of left-wing propaganda as <laughs> I uh, as I announce them so that people will... Get the full effect. But what about Rakish Charm? Will you be incorporating Rakish Charm? Oh, my gosh. You know what? Here's the deal. <laughs> uh, when we're done with the show, you can... Because I have a general idea of what Rakish means, <laughs> but not totally. Okay. And, and what's more is, like, my definition of Rakish, I don't see you in there. And so <laughs> I think you'll need to give me your definition off air. I've, or right now, if you like. Uh, I've, uh, Jude Law and AI. Oh, really? Yeah. It's kind of rakish, right? Yeah. Uh, yes, it is. It's not you. No, of course no, it's not. No, not at all. Oh. I don't think rakish charm is something that you self... Uh, is there such uh, a thing as blustery charm? Because I think that's what I have. <laughs> oh. I have in my hand a list of movies that I'm going to talk about on this episode. Did you mean to sound vaguely McCarthy-esque there? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> um... We we uh yeah we got to get to the topic absolutely because you have a have a movie to catch hard out they call that yeah but you're not seeing a movie called hard out no with Jean Claude Van Damme you're seeing a movie called Win Win yeah which means we get done early you go to the movies our listeners don't have to listen to us for two hours mm-hmm. that's a win win sure is okay so we were looking for topics like we said we got a bunch of them and one that had come up uh, before was uh, it was Tyler's idea as I recall. A while ago, actually, I think a, I think a listener actually suggested oh, okay. it. I heard it from Tyler. Okay. Um, a while ago, we had done one that was uh, pithily titled "What Were We Thinking?" Absolutely about movies that we liked at first, and we now, in retrospect, realize are not good, not the best. Yeah. Uh, and now I don't have a pithy title yet for this one. Okay. Uh, I, I came up with one. It was you're better like, at pithy titles. Uh, I've come around. Okay, is where I is right. what I came up with. Movies we've come around on. Yeah, uh, movie and and the thing is, with the what were we thinking? It was largely movies that I really liked that I now really don't like, and I didn't find that same extreme when when thinking about this topic. I found like movies that I had major problems with that soured me on them that I now am okay with, or movies that, uh, uh. I uh, didn't get the first time, and yeah. now I do. Like, I, I don't feel like I've actually done a 180. I've just sort of realized more about the movies. It's a, it's a bit mm-hmm. more of a gradual change from my uh, early percep- perceptions to my current ones. Okay. For me, I would say that uh, some of it has to do with just education and the idea of just thinking outside the box. When I was younger, I mean, listeners know that I still am somebody, I respond to character, I respond to story to an extent, but if it's characters I don't care about, then, I, you know, who cares? But, um, but like, characters, acting, dialogue, and then 
story and then like cinematography, like I have more of an appreciation for it now uh, and editing and, and some of the more technical aspects, you know, 12, 15 years ago, I mean, it was it was all character. If there wasn't a character I could relate to, I didn't have to like them, but if I couldn't relate to them, forget it. Mm. And there's a lot of movies that have, you know, honestly, no interest in character. And I had, I've had to learn to be okay with that. I had to broaden my definition of what makes a good movie. So yeah, for we, me, we talked about that. The yeah. idea between, or the 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 difference between, uh, like abs- like film as an abstract art or as a dramatic art, right? Um, and it can be both. It can be both at the same time. Yeah. But yeah, when you mentioned the this the idea for the topic, the first thing I thought of was two that are probably on your list. Um, because I'm not saying for me these are movies that I loved right away, but I knew there were two movies that you had come around on. Yeah. Uh, and they both fit into this thing you're talking about, where they're where they're more about tone and form and cadence and atmosphere than about and in some cases ideas, and right? Yeah. Uh, and the two movies I thought of were Mulholland Drive, and uh, one of Battleship Pretension's personal favorite movies, Belatar's The Verkmeister Harmonies. That's right. Okay. There's a pretty there's a pretty short list uh, because I was really trying to think like, in some cases there are movies. It's li- it, I don't know. It was easier for me to come up with a list of movies I used to love. And don't <laughs> than yeah, movies that I didn't too. like and do now. Um, so what I don't do you? What, so you chalk that up things like Mulholland Drive and Verkmeister Harmonies, things that are that are are non-narrative or or mm-hmm. I mean, Verkmeister Harmonies has a through line. It does, yes. Um, and Mulholland Drive has a narrative for the first half, and then <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then everything changes. Um, and in some of these cases, so what the, do you chalk this up to? Though is what I'm saying. Well, is I think in some of these cases or education and just recognizing like i said just broadening my definition of what a movie not what a movie can be and recognizing that not everybody wants to do what i may want them to do i still don't consider mulholland drive to be a satisfying experience for me but but i would say i would say i like it and more specifically i would say i have a respect for it i think that's another thing that came about in the last i'm going to say you know 10 years for me um, but I think film school sort of engendered this in me, this idea of you don't have you don't have to love everything, but you at least need to give, I don't like to use the word props, but give props to movies that, like, this is beyond me and it's not what I like, but that doesn't mean it's bad. Mm. And you and I have talked about subjectivity be- playing a role in mm-hmm. film appreciation. That's fine. But... You know, you, Mulholland Drive, it's hard to latch on to characters when they're constantly changing. It's hard mm-hmm. for characters to develop inside what is ostensibly a dream. Mm-hmm. So, I didn't have anything... Just ask Christopher Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> well done, David. Um, but there is... And so, I, I felt like when we watched it, I didn't have anything I could latch on to. But... Uh, but as time has gone on, I recognize, well, he didn't want... I'm trying to latch on to something that he never had any intention of doing. And mm-hmm. so unless I'm willing to go become sort of snobbish but in a different way and say that movies can can and should only want to be this thing over here, mm-hmm. like unless I'm willing to go that far, then I need to accept that people want to do different sometimes want to do different things than what I and I would venture to say the majority of movie watchers are trained to want. And yes. once you once you open that up 
then you can still respect something and recognize, well, it didn't have much meaning for me, but who cares? It's, you know, it's still great. Um, just want to interject, speaking of Inception, when the best and worst came out, I talked about how the Village Voice critics poll named Inception the worst film of the year. Mm. Um, also, in keeping with the Village Voice critics poll agreeing with me all the time, uh, that same group of critics named Mulholland Drive the best film of the decade. Uh, at the back in, when they did that, do you agree with those two assessments? Uh, I don't know that I actually called it the best film of the decade. I said this is England was the best film of the decade, which is a decidedly narrative film. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you watched it right eventually? Uh, no? no, I didn't. I thought you we, did a movie night for we it. We had a movie night for it, but I was unable to make it. Oh, I see. Um, <clears throat> but um, definitely, I'm just the, <laughs> that Village Voice readers poll definitely seems to be. More in step with my tastes than in yours. Not a lead reader's poll, critic's poll. Rather. Side note. Okay. <laughs> so you and I both took this thing uh, on Facebook, this empire. I'm not list. on Facebook. Oh, where, where did you take the thing? <laughs> I have a Facebook. Okay, But sorry. you'll notice that I didn't, like, post anything. I basically had a, have a Facebook account uh, because I got sick of finding out about, out about parties after they'd happened. Okay. <laughs> because I wasn't getting invites. And also because I used the um, uh, chat, the instant message. Yes. Uh, yes. Function. And also when I ask, when I ask comedians to be guests on our show, a lot of times the only way to get, to get a hold of them is through Facebook. Man, that thing is so wonderful in that sense. But So, uh, yeah, I did, I did do that. Yeah, but so I didn't. I didn't share the yeah. results because so I, I don't make posts on Facebook. What would you call it? It's like a list. It's like a poll. It's like a combination of things. But uh, Empire Magazine, which we have talked we, about in the past, we make clear, yeah, that uh, we've got bones to pick. Yeah, but they they showed their their list of the five hundred best movies of all time, uh-huh. and uh, you can go through and click how many of them you've seen. And I've seen more than most, and you've seen a few more than I have. You said you had three forty one. Three forty one. I got 351. Okay. So I don't feel terrible about that. If you had like 400, I'd be like, come on, man. Seriously? (laughs) But uh, thankfully, you know. uh, What I want to do, though, again, more in line with my tastes, Mm -hmm. is look at the New York Times book of the best 1,000 movies ever made and see how many of those 1,000 I've seen. Because I bet it's lower, Oh, frankly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of of stuff on that list that I haven't seen. Yeah, I mean, there's stuff on those lists that I haven't even heard of, and I feel terrible about that, but... uh, but yeah, uh, Transformers was on that Empire list, and I mean, unless you are, because people have, I do not, you and I have talked about this, I do not consider Michael Bay to be a hack, no. um, but that film is pretty terrible, and as many of his movies are, that him making terrible movies doesn't make him a terrible director. I know it sounds like it should, <laughs> but the talent is there. No, I think he is a terrible director, but I just don't think he's a hack. I think he's following his muse, is what I'm saying. Right. I think he's a, he's an artist. He's just. How do you define hack then? Uh, someone who has no uh, viewpoint of their own. Okay. Uh, that's what I think of as hackneyed is just someone uh, uh, building a film or what or whatever their chosen art is uh, out of what's worked for other people before, mm-hmm. and just trying to make it work without having anything. A viewpoint or thing to say. Okay, and so my okay in that sense, then yes, he's not a hack. Terrible director, maybe, but but he's an auteur. He is an auteur, and that and so perhaps Transformers is included because this is one of the highest you know money making directors of all time. And here is, I would venture to say, 
the quintessential uh, Michael Bay film. So maybe they included it for that reason. And this actually kind of feeds into what we're talking about a little bit. Um, this idea, not that I've come around on Michael Bay. Uh-huh. I have not. And I don't think I ever will. I think it, it, for me it's even the opposite. Like I used to find redeemable things about The Rock and Armageddon and Bad Boys. And uh, I haven't actually rewatched uh, Bad Boys Armageddon in a, in a long time. But I rewatched The Rock recently and I couldn't find anything that I liked about it. Other than the casting, which is always good in his movies. Yes, yes. Uh, and, and that's... I, re- I really like Ed Harris in that film. Just both the writing of his character and and the way he maybe not the writing but he's doing the, he's doing the best he can he's doing the best he can and he's crafting a character and that scene where he has the high ground and he is going back and forth with Michael Bean that's a solid scene yeah that's a, that's an emotionally powerful scene i think You're by right. virtue of the actors all right uh now i'm not sure i'm not sure if i would say it's redeemable because right. that implies that it redeems the whole film which it does not but um but in the so i've not come around on michael bay in much like yourself, I think I've only given, I've only realized more reasons to not like his films. But the th- the things that I look for in a film, even in an action film, maybe he's not interested in doing that. Like people say, like it it edits so fast, I don't even know what's happening. And maybe to him, he says, I don't care if you know what's happening or not. It's not about being able to figure everything out in the moment. You know, the people in the situation probably don't. So, Transformers Revenge of the Fallen is the Mulholland Drive of action movies. Yes. You, you don't yes. have to follow the motivations or actions yeah. of the characters. You just have to get the general atmosphere of the fight that's going when on. When you think about it, Naomi Watts kind of transforms <laughs> that's true. in uh, Mulholland Drive. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, that's uh, right. that's neither here nor there. No, I haven't talked about anything yet. So yes, go I, ahead. Here's what I want to do. Uh, yeah, uh, I've got my list sort of... Um, my list splits sort of nicely in two uh, between old, like older movies that I saw maybe when I wasn't ready, uh, yeah. either either in terms of film appreciation or in terms of my own just personal maturity and life experience, and then more recent films that um, uh, I think I was just too hard on in the first viewing and have uh, and have grown. And a lot of these these films are things that are actually helped by knowing how they end like knowing not not going in with expectations i feel like some of these films are easier to process but i'll get to that when we get to it okay. i'm gonna talk about the earlier ones first um you know i mentioned things that like uh um i wasn't in li- my life experience ready for yet like um and uh, these weren't films I hated, but like Kramer versus Kramer and a movie you love, Reversal of Fortune, mm-hmm. were both things that I that didn't do much for me on first viewing. Interesting, because um, I mean i I wasn't really a city dweller, or I was either, or maybe I was new to city. Dweller. I can't remember exactly when I watched them. Um, I'd obviously never had, I'd never had a real adult relationship. I mean, right. uh, I was. Like in high school or college when I saw these, um, you're some punk, and I just wasn't an adult with uh, you know. I mean the the responsibilities in Kramer versus Kramer, not 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 just in terms of having a kid. Obviously, I still can't relate to that, mm-hmm. um, but just of being an adult and having a job and having to do all these things and 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 the uh, the complexities of a relationship between two people 
you know, especially the more you invest, the more you get invested, the less that a relationship is what it was at the outset. It's not just romance. There's so much more to it, and that doesn't mean it's less. Right. Because uh, the romance is there, too, but it... Uh, uh, just understanding why the divorce thing was so difficult, I think you have to have had more experience with relationships with grown-ups. Uh or at least I did. I, I know you liked that film from the beginning, but you've, you've always been an old soul. <sighs> yeah, that's true. Um, I feel like it sounds negative when you say it. And Reversal of Fortune, I think I just... Uh, uh, I think when... And this will actually feed nicely into the next couple. There's a certain sense of thing, like... What you think is cool when you're younger? Like, Reversal of Fortune is actually a pretty cool movie. <laughs> okay. I think. I think now it is. At the time, I found it very square. Yeah. Um, Why do you think it's cool now? Uh, because I think that Jeremy Irons' performance is uh, um, exciting. You know, in, in a Even way that's it's very reserved. Yeah. yeah, but in a way that wouldn't have spoken to me, I wouldn't have picked up on hmm. as a younger person. Uh, but that also his Oscar-winning performance. Like, yes. there's a reason that he won an Oscar for that. It was really. For, although it frustrates me that he won lead because he is more of a supporting type character, but uh, but Wait, yeah. who would the lead be then? Uh, well, nobody really changes. Um, I mean, I guess Alan Dershowitz. Yeah. Yeah, who at the time I only knew Ron Silver from Time Cop. <laughs> I think. <laughs> um, I hadn't yet seen Blue Steel, which is uh, yeah. You think he plays a good hammy villain in Time Cop? You got to see Blue Steel. Gotta see it. Um, by Oscar-winning director Catherine Bigelow. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, speaking of thinking I'm too cool, when I was uh, a younger a younger man, um, I scoffed at When Harry Met Sally, which is now like top five romantic comedies of all time for me. It's that's a great movie. Hmm. Um, well, it's up there with Philadelphia Story and The American President, and it happened one night. What I gotta think of a fifth one. The uh, the reason that I that I'm hmm humming is that uh, you know it, it was very difficult for me to make a list of movies, but when I went larger, uh-huh. it was very easy for me to make a list of genres, and uh, romantic comedies yeah. was one of them. Yeah, for much the same reason that you're talking about with uh, with um, Kramer versus Kramer in, in a. Not exactly the same, of course, because... Uh, I, I want to reiterate, with Kramer vs. Kramer and Reversal of Fortune, I didn't hate these movies. Right. They just left me a little cold. Like, I saw the talent involved in, in making them, mm-hmm. but they didn't speak to me the way that they do now. That's interesting. Like, don't get me wrong, Reversal of Fortune is a very cold movie, uh, <laughs> but I, I always thought Kramer vs. Kramer was actually surprisingly emotionally raw. And it's will like the the way in which he fights with his son and the way in which he fights with his wife. It seemed very real to me, and not. Uh, yeah, and I think movies that like had that sort of realness and rawness probably didn't. I mean, my, you know, the the movies that informed me as a film fan were Coen Brothers movies and and Danny Boyle and mm-hmm. I mean like postmodern movies like. Uh, I sort of had to earn understanding rawness. You know what I could almost put on this list? I mean, um, a movie that 
a movie that I really liked the first time, but that blows me away now is John Cassavetti's Faces. Oh which yeah, I've seen. I've since bought on DVD, you know. But that one, like, was still early in college, and I still like thought of film a lot of times in terms of like I don't know technical wizardry and like the the sort of innovative stuff that uh Danny Boyle would do with his camera. Yeah. And um it, yeah, that was part of my education. I, I I didn't dislike faces at all, so I wouldn't put it on this list, but it was definitely one that again like these other movies uh is much more effective to me now than it was then. Huh. Um that's interesting cuz I but I guess so I mean I guess like Cassavetes especially in that film like it's all, I mean, it is all character. Now, of course, the yeah. way he edits. But then by the time I saw Husbands, just a year or two after I saw Faces, mm-hmm. I loved it. Yeah. Have you ever seen A Woman Under the Influence? I have not seen that. That's oh, one of the boy. big ones. And I missed, like, three chances to see it in the theater recently in Los what Angeles. What a wonderful movie. But, um, but, yeah, romantic comedies, that was, that was a, okay, so, like, for okay, for a long time, I didn't like Westerns. For a long time, I didn't like musicals. I still don't love musicals because there's a lot of bad ones out there. But there, there's a lot of bad everything out there. You know yeah, what I mean? Ninety percent of everything is crap. I'm not the. I'm qu- paraphrasing someone, but yeah, it's pretty much true. Paraphrasing, I'd say most people, ninety percent <laughs> of them, uh, maybe ten percent of them. But uh, and then and then romantic comedies was another thing, and uh, horror to a certain extent. But I still, I I came around on horror pretty early actually. But um, romantic comedies is it, it was such a standard thing to say like ah oh, these are all these are all crap these are all terrible with musical and we- musicals and westerns i came around on those because i became more fully involved in film i came around ro- on romantic comedies because i like fell in love like a real love like more th- like more than a high school love not to crap on people that are in love in high school but there's like you know i loved somebody in high school and uh the emotions were they were there absolutely mm-hmm. but like you said you get older and you start and you have to make that love last but what's more is the uh when i fell in love with uh jen i found myself thinking all of the things that people ha- would say <laughs> in romantic comedies uh-huh. and i was like oh i am so cliche yeah. and then i and hey, as soon as you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with a person. You want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. That's true. I know I'm paraphrasing. I can't remember the exact line, but that's a great. That is a great line. That's and from it when Harry a- met Sally. For those uh, two, those who are too still too cool for school, when it comes to romantic comedies, that's from when Harry met Sally. And, but that line is perfect because the day I realized, and I, I had, I sort of organically stumbled on the idea of marriage. <laughs> because I had hung out with Jen like three or four days in a row, and then she left to go back to her place, and uh, and I remember just thinking like, oh man, I miss her already. I wish I could. Ha- I wish I could see her every day. Hey, wait a second. <laughs> like, like I had, I had create. If it wasn't around, I created it. And so, but, and then once I realized like, oh, I want to marry her. I was like, ah, I would like to marry her tomorrow, but I know that's probably not very practical. So what do I do? <laughs> and so suddenly, now of course some. Some romantic comedies recognize those, exploit them for and manipulate the audience yeah. and manipulate the audience's experiences to try to you know get you to cry or whatever and and become more invested in the film. But like the good romantic comedies, I used to dismiss all of them. And then when you see a good one, like when Harry Met Sally, you're just like, damn, that's that's right, yeah. that's exactly it. 
And it does the, um, obviously it happened when Knight did the original and best. They hate each other, they hate each other, they hate each other. They love each other. Right. Whereas when Hammer and Sally was a lot more organic. Like, they did clash at the beginning. But I wouldn't say they hated each other necessarily. Even though they might have even characterized it like that. They clearly talked a lot. They saw something in each other. They were engaged with each other. And it it feels like, when Hammer and Sally feels like a more naturalistic version of It Happened One Night. Yeah, in some ways. I, I think they saw saw each other as um, it's kind of a silly phrase, but I think it's appropriate. Worthy opponents. Yeah, where it's just like because there are some people that you in life you don't like and they're not worth your time. But then there are some people that the way in which you don't like them and the way in they the, in which they don't like you, you're just like there's something intriguing about this, <laughs> and I right. want to explore it further. Um, I found a segue to my next one a okay. little while back. So when I go back, you were talking about high school love. Okay. Uh, this ties in in two ways, both a film that's about high school lovers and that I saw in high school because I had to see it in the language class. We watched it over the course of a week, you know how they do in high school. Yeah. Uh, and that's um, Franco Zeffirelli's 1968 version of Romeo and Juliet, which I thought was a fucking snooze <laughs> when I saw it back in 10th grade. Oh, man, did I think it was boring. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's it's still not the best adaptation of Romeo and Juliet there's ever been. It might be the best filmed one. Uh, I mean, even though I like Baz Luhrmann's, yeah, uh, I don't love it. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't even know what to say about. It. I think it just, um, it's it's again like these are the things. Uh, Is I it had c- to grow in some way. I think maybe I had to become more familiar with Shakespeare, um, and just with, you know, with the English language. Well, it could have been any number of things because it could be that. They're showing us this in school, so by extension, it is boring because school is boring. And they're making me do something, so screw them. Uh-huh. But then also, you know, when you're younger, like people with British accents and they're not the villain in a Die Hard movie, no thank you. Uh, but I also think um, uh, the idea of spectacle, like, mm-hmm. this will segue into my next one. This is going very well. Um what was impressive in terms of like lots of bright colors, lots of extras, choreographed dancing, you know, mm-hmm. that is so old hat to to someone my age now that it didn't read as being spectacular. And now having a better uh um appreciation of the history and the context, I can watch a movie and understand uh at this point pretty much um subconsciously just understand why that's spectacular yeah you know and that another movie like uh we'd seen some great action films or some very fast-paced action films by the time it was the year 2000 or 2001 and i first saw the french connection Mm -hmm. so hearing about what a great car chase that it was i was kind of let down when i finally saw it um but within a few years of of that and having more of an idea of of context, uh, I can see what a great car chase it is, and also understanding that car chases aren't just about, uh, you know, uh, screeching tires. Well, there's lots of screeching tires in that one, uh, but um, car slipping over or something. It doesn't have to be like I love the Blues Brothers too. Absolutely, it, it doesn't have to be that. You know, mm-hmm. um, the the that that car chase which. The main it's, car chase in French Connection isn't actually a car chase. Right. There's only one car involved. Yeah. Uh, 
but given the but the way that the series of um or just the dynamics and the layout of who's where and the objective of the car chase mm. uh, i think that's why it's it's so great because it's it's down it's uh ground level it's very fast it's very frantic and you are actually very invested in him catching the guy damn you backs i want to watch the french connection <laughs> right now like i am so ugh. I got to see it. Um, but it, it's odd that you bring that up because I completely forgot about French Connection. I had, I had heard that it, you know, it won picture, director, actor, all these things. And I was like, man, I got to see this movie. And I watched it, and I didn't connect with it for a sep- completely different reason, which was, it's just a chase movie. Uh-huh. That's all it is. <laughs> How does a chase movie win best actor? I mean, he's good and everything, but come on. Like, wh- what am I supposed to do here? How am I supposed to connect with this character? And I had not yet gotten to the point because I was at the when I first saw it, I was probably I'm going to say I was probably 15 and uh, I had not yet gotten to the point where I realized that you don't just need dialogue Mm. uh, to reveal character. A character's actions can speak a lot louder than his words. And like you said, you're invested in that chase scene. Because that chase scene, first, like, it is an extension of our main character and his absolute tenacity. He, like, any other person would be like, yeah, I've, uh, I lost him. (laughs) This guy's like, no, I'm going to keep going until I kill him, which is why that, that moment at the end where the guy he's chasing is at the top of the stairs and there's Gene Hackman exhausted, but the guy, like, sees him and the expression on his face is like, you're shitting me. Seriously? <laughs> this guy chased me all this way, and now I'm shot and dead. Um, um, he doesn't have that expression on his right. face when he gets shot. But, but yeah, it took me a while to realize that there's more to character than merely what they say. You know what we're uh, uh, unearthing here in this episode? What's that? The ways in which you developed faster than I did as a film fan, and mm-hmm. the ways in which I developed faster than you did. Mm-hmm. Like, things like... Mulholland Drive and Verkmeister Harmonies, I was ahead of you on. Things like Kramer versus Kramer and even French Connection uh, and Reversal of Fortune, you were ahead of me on. Now, uh, in my defense with Verkmeister Harmonies... You were very tired. (laughs) Had I not been so infuriatingly tired, I think I might have been more open to it. But Uh at the same time, I I don't think I would have embraced it the way I do now. Uh, But yes, that one I say... I'm going to say about... 40% 40% of my boiling hatred of that film <laughs> was circumstantial. Which now I feel like it's one of the films we talk about the most, I, or at least mention the most. Oh, yeah. It's one, we've always talked movie. about doing, and we should still do them, maybe sell them, mm-hmm. uh, our own commentaries for the, for certain films that we... I don't Everybody know if we should do is pretty long, man. I but don't know if we could get... I feel like... Uh, the Thin Man and Verkmeister Harmonies are probably the top two movies that I feel like we mention. We were talking about doing it for Twelve Angry Men as well. Twelve Angry Men, uh, the best years of our lives is yeah. another one. Um, we should do these, uh, listeners. Let us know if that's something you would want, and let us know if you would want us to do it for a bad one too. Sometimes <laughs> we're not but as not, funny, like not I feel like, like MST three K. Yeah, because they kind of set the bar. Yeah. I don't know. Just observations and talking about our lives. All right. Uh, I've been running the list here you sure have yeah and uh very off-putting so <laughs> uh <laughs> but you know what i i'm not i'm not going to be uh 
I'm not going to be like bringing anything remarkably new to what I've already said. Movies like last year at Marienbad, which I saw in school, and much like Mulholland Drive, I'm like, I can't relate. To, I mean, it's it's all about, it is very dreamlike. It's very surreal. Um, well, we lived together and you came home from that class and you said, I just saw the most pretentious thing I've ever seen. Now, that might still be true. <laughs> like, just because I've come around doesn't mean that that opinion might be <laughs> false. But, um, huh, that's odd. I don't remember saying that. But yeah. but I have come around on it and recognized that uh, it's trying, you know, uh, different things and talking about just this the intangible qualities of memory and how, how much they can trick a person and stuff like that. And so, uh, so now I recognize that it is a brilliant exploration of that. It's nothing that I would probably opt to see again, but I respect it for what it is now. Um, but, uh, there is a movie that when I remember I, I wrote a review for it in my high school paper back in Denver that, and, and at the time I just, there are parts of it I liked because I was young and there were action and it was actiony, but there are parts of it that I was just like, this acting is terrible. This dialogue is terrible, and now it is a movie that you and I defend to the death, which is Starship Troopers. Oh, okay. All right? Yeah. Now, I actually just watched that again on Netflix, and I, I was just, I was young. I did not understand the concept of satire, or at least not that kind of satire, uh-huh. where something is, certain aspects of something are bad or, uh, let's say, hokey uh-huh. on purpose, you know, I hadn't seen any 1940s propaganda <laughs> films, you know, and so I, my that film was absolutely not for me, uh, except it sort of was because it's about Marines killing giant bugs. And it's like, that's great. I'm I'm I like violence and it's a violent ass movie. But uh, uh-huh. but like the. But only with the uh, would you like to know more sequences like the little newsreel sequences I couldn't verbalize it. I knew that they were kind of funny, but I felt like there was something deeper going on. I didn't know what it was because I was not yet old enough. But I was kind of... I didn't dismiss the film completely, but I was like, these performances are terrible, this dialogue is terrible, these characters are terrible. terrible." And then I was... But there was still something that kept me from just dismissing it out of hand. And, And thankfully, as time has gone on, I've recognized like, oh... In some ways, it's actually quite brilliant, and so I've so to the point now that you and I defend it to our friends all the time. Yeah, that brings me actually to another movie. Okay, talking about satire, um, and another thing that I that I've learned a lesson a lot from this movie. I try to control who I see movies with, mm-hmm. with whom I see movies, because there's only certain people that I trust, and I feel like watching movies in a group. Sometimes you can get caught up in a groupthink, and Yes, this is me trying to convince you to watch The Kids Are All Right Again on your own. Because um, I, I I think you were poisoned by uh, Jason Eakin. And Josh Long. <laughs> yeah, and Josh Long. Yeah. How about I'm the one doing the poisoning? Who do you think I am? <laughs> You're right. Um, anyway, uh, but also a bit of a satire. The first time I saw it when it was brand new on VHS, Scream, I thought it was so stupid. Really? Yeah. Interesting. And it wasn't until... Um, a, a year or two later, I watched it again on my own, and now I love it. I, I yeah. like I more than just like it. I love Scream. Uh, it was one of the earliest movies I bought on DVD when I got a DVD player. It, it's uh, you didn't find it scary at all, even. No, I never. I still don't find it scary. 
Um, huh. That's interesting. Like, it, I mean, I remember, like, because that was, what, 96? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we were in high school. I mean, I was late to the party. I didn't see, I had no desire to see it, because like I said, I didn't, at the time, I didn't like horror. Uh-huh. Um but I saw it a few years later. But everyone I knew, I didn't know anybody that didn't like Scream that saw it. Well, I think I, I was friends with a bunch of contrarians who huh. were, they'd be hipsters now. Okay, that yeah, was a term that people used then. Which um, is weird because Scream just plays totally into the hipster thing. But it's just—it was a big movie with uh, Drew Barrymore and that girl was, from Friends. Uh, yeah. Okay. Wait, who? Courtney. Oh, Cox? Courtney. I forgot yeah. she was in it. Um, yes, I love that movie, and yet I forgot that Courtney Cox was in it. I was like, no, no, Never Campbell was on Party Five, <laughs> um, the non the non comedic Friends. Um, uh, says you, <laughs> that was pretty funny. Uh, so yeah, uh, Scream is is a really great movie. Uh, Scream Two is also quite a good movie. Scream Three is awful. Yeah, and, it's pretty awful. Um. I'm kind of excited about Scream 4. Here's how I'll be, get excited about Scream 4. If they kill off one of the big three. If they kill off Courtney Cox, David Arquette, or Nev Campbell. If they kill off one of those people, like they said they were going to in Scream 3. But it's they not that killed off... Uh, spoilers for Scream 3. They killed off Cotton Weary, which was... But he was only introduced in the second film. And no, only he's in the ex- first film. Oh no! I'm sorry. Yes, yes, yes. He's uh, only in like the one. But scene, he was though. he was in like one scene for real, and then he's not in the second film a lot. And right. even then, he's not a character you root for. He's kind of stalkery and creepy, and he's not really redeemed until the end. And so when he spoilers again dies in the first scene, it's just like okay, I don't feel like he's also kind of a he's funny, but he's obnoxious in that first scene as well. And so we don't necessarily mourn his death either. Yeah, that's a. a Scream 3's main problem is that it's a bad screenplay. Yeah. It lost the... Because, uh, yeah, Cotton Weary was kind of a... Like, uh, he was this guy that you felt like you should feel sorry for. Yeah. But also, he's kind of an asshole. Yeah. And there was a humor to it. And then in, in that scene in Scream 3, he's just an asshole. And right. they lost that nuance in the in the comedy. Scream 3 is not funny at all. And I think that's Parker big, Posey's pretty funny in it. I'd have to watch it again. I don't remember. I don't remember finding it funny, but I would have to watch it again. Um, but no, that was that was the thing that always bothered me. Like with Scream Two, they uh, spoilers when they kill Jamie Kennedy. Yeah, you are not expecting it uh-huh. for several reasons. Like you don't kill the comic relief. Yeah, you know, and especially the guy who knows the rules, and you don't expect it to happen when it does. You know, something's going to happen, but you don't think it's going to be to him. Because you thought he was, you know, un- yeah. one of the untouchable characters, and that's the and then, but then they it. still found a really, un- I know, a really dumb way to bring him back in Scream Three. Yeah, I just wish, uh, like, I wish they could do it, have a do over on Scream Three. Maybe that's what Scream Four is. But I wanted, I want there to be a a good third one. But so you, you can't want s- pretend the third one doesn't exist because the fourth one has to continue. So you kind of wish, you wish that they did Scream Three. It, it's called Scream Three, and then in parentheses. For real this time. <laughs> yeah. Something like that? Yeah. Uh, but, oh, yeah. Uh, so with Scream 3, I remember all the promos were like, in the, it's like, in a trilogy, anything can happen. And then you watch it, you're like, yeah, nothing happened that I wasn't expecting. <laughs> so thanks for that. Uh, I do want to bring up a, a couple of movies that, okay, one of, one of which I didn't like and then came around on to the point where now I like it more than anybody I know, uh, which is a civil action, uh, which... Yeah. 
but again, that comes from a certain, my embracing of it came from uh, something, I don't know, because you've seen the film and you know that mm-hmm. it does not have a triumphant ending by mm-hmm. any stretch of the imagination. It is a very deeply cynical film. Uh, and it sh- it's based on a true story, and so they didn't want to tack on any kind of happy ending to it, and, and that's good. good for them. But uh, I remember when I watched it, and it was over, part of me was just like, why did I watch that? What did <laughs> I learn from that? And then as time has gone on, I realized, like... What you, I lear- you, you learn that getting speeding tickets can lead to good things, which will eventually be, be which bad Which will things. eventually be your ruin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, but that... And so... But I, I came to realize, and I also read the book since then, that uh, they're like, ah, actually, unlike The Rainmaker, unlike The Verdict, which admittedly are fiction, this was a movie that even making the movie, like, why did they opt to make this movie knowing that it doesn't have the happy ending that we want, knowing that it doesn't come back with the jury being like, can we give more money than the person asked for? Like... <laughs> It does. That doesn't happen. So the fact that they had the balls to make a movie that is pure cynicism and say like, "Hey, our uh, legal system's pretty flawed. Really, whoever has the money wins because you can just outspend the other person." And yeah. that's the end. Like, it had a. I respect. I like a lot of the performances certainly, but uh, I respect the balls that it took to make the film. As strange as that sounds, because when you watch it, the film is very is very slick. It's not a very raw movie, except it is dark. And in one of the biggest injustices of all time, uh, Matt Bennett and myself did a That's series. A friend of friend of ours, uh, friend of yours, more. Yeah, but you know him him longer. Him. But yeah, I, I know and like Matt. In high school, he and I uh, took a series of scenes from a civil action and performed them as a ten-minute yeah. duet scene at speech and debate competitions, and uh, we did great. And everyone were, was very complimentary. And then one of the judges, and you know, I don't know if you know this or not, but the judges were, of course, just people's parents. Yeah, I know. Yeah. What? It's, it's... Is this a point of contention for you, or are you just yeah. tired of hearing me talk about no, this? That, no, the fact that they were people's parents is a point of contention for me. Okay. Because uh, apparently you can do a comedic monologue, which is just cutting together all of Wallace Shawn's parts from Princess Bride and just do a Wallace Shawn impression and you're the funniest thing in the world. Yeah. Whereas if I actually was doing some acting and being funny, it doesn't matter because I'm not doing a big, crazy Wallace Shawn impression. Yeah. And uh, nothing is more dramatic than one person playing two parts from Night Mother. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, and so... Matt and I did a, a really good job with that, uh, and I was very pleased at how I edited the script. Like there was still an arc to it, and you got the whole movie in basically ten minutes, and you got some of the really solid scenes. And uh, we got a lot of compliments from the judges, but then one judge gave us last and said that it was it was uh, too depressing. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> but uh, so that's one movie that I came around on because partially because of my general awareness of the types of movies that are usually made. And the fact that this is not the type of movie that is usually made, or if it is, is changed drastically. And so, like from the original, uh, the true story. There is another movie that I've that I've come around on, and this is gonna okay. This is probably gonna lose me some credibility with people. Okay, because I like. Oh, it. I've got one that's gonna piss some people off. Okay, too, at least because I, I like me. Is it gonna piss me off? Probably. Okay, because I liked it, and then. People told me I shouldn't like it, so I kind of talked myself into not liking it. 
when I think back on it, though, it's like, yeah, this is a perfectly fine movie, and that's Life is Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I don't like it. A lot of people give me shit about it, but it's just like... I was, was I one of those people? Probably. Uh, probably, you were the type. Um, yeah, I, I, was, I used to be awful. <laughs> that's all right. I we, still am kind of awful, but I used to be such a snob. Yeah, we both were. It's fine. Um, you know what I was thinking about today? Like, uh, that I remember one time my friend who was kind of into movies and knew I was really into movies was like, hey, I'm going to see Coffee and Cigarettes tonight. Are you going to go see that? And I was like, Coffee and Cigarettes? I'm going to see Saddest Music in the World tonight. And said <laughs> it like, like that smarmy. Like, oh, you think that's cool? I'm going to go see the even cooler <laughs> yeah. thing. It's like, you can keep your uh, your sellout Jim Jarmusch. <laughs> I'm going to go to the uh, chronically unmarketable Guy Madden. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. and I, I, I want to like call that guy and apologize. Like, I was such a dick. <laughs> but that, and it also got me thinking about, like, literally, saddest music in the world is the most accessible Guy Madden film. And if you had not seen any Guy Madden and you watched that, that would seem insane to you. Oh, have you ever seen Twilight of the Ice Nymphs? Not all of it, but yeah. Okay. You realize... Because I, 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 oh man, that was his attempt to be commercial. <laughs> like he had said, because he was getting like. Uh, and it was lo- called Twilight of the Ice Nymphs. Yeah, because it's in color and a lot of his movies aren't. Uh-huh. It is in the most visually assaulting color <laughs> ever. It's, I love the movie. I, I really enjoy it. I like how I, I appreciate his commitment to being whatever the fuck he wants to be. Uh-huh. But, uh,. So much so that I just swore more than I usually do. <laughs> but just, but it is, it it takes a special kind of social ineptitude to make Twilight of the Ice. Like someone's like, hey, you you should, you know, your movies aren't making a lot of money. You're like, okay, all right, you know what, problem solved. I'll do this, and you <laughs> and you produce that movie. What I love about him is that he understands that film that is experimental and high art and not always sp- strictly narrative. It's okay for it to be hilarious. Yeah. And like, like, careful is so funny to me. <laughs> uh, yeah, the heart of the world is uh, when his his probably his best short film is is very funny. All right, sorry, let's move on. Yeah. Um, oh, anyway, but yeah, so life yeah. life is beautiful is is something that like I think I I didn't like it, and people had said like, oh, hey, he's Chaplin esque, and I'm like, bah, whatever, jerk. Uh-huh. And I watched more Chaplin, and I'm like, well, he is Chaplin esque. I mean, he might be. One could say even ripping off a certain degree of, uh, you know, pathos from uh, from Chaplin films, but he does it well, and it is legitimately funny while also being legitimately uh, melodramatic, to be sure. But Chaplin's The Kid was melodramatic too, uh-huh. and it's not. And I, it, it had an emotional resonance for me, and I didn't necessarily feel manipulated about it. Um, I don't know. It's it's a film that. Did it deserve deserve to win Best uh, Actor? No. I think maybe people were just swept up in the uh, Italian whirlwind of Roberto Benigni that everyone has totally soured on since. But, but yeah, and so... See, I've come around on him, because I think I was too cool for Roberto Benigni back when he was, like, jumping up and down at the Oscars. Yeah. And now I'm like, so what? He's having fun. No, that kind of thing I don't mind at all, and I like him, but as a filmmaker, I think people really hate him now. Um but yeah. I, I I enjoy that movie and I and I will defend it to a point. Yes. Um. All right. I only have a few left. Okay. And they all come into a certain category. They're all more recent, and these are films that when I first saw them, if I had to come down on one side or the other, I would have come down against, but with some caveats. Okay. 
Whereas now, if I had to come down on one side or the other, I'd come down as for them, but also still with some caveats. Right. And this started. I started thinking of this list because just you went from just, a C minus to a C plus. <laughs> more, yeah, more or less. Um, just the other day, I think it was like a, the day after you first mentioned this topic to me, I was flipping through channels late at night, and uh, Bill Paxton's directorial debut, Frailty, came on, oh, which right. is a movie that I didn't. You hated when we were when we. I hated it. the end of it. Okay. Um, and that sort of it was one of the movies because it has kind of a, I won't I won't spoil it because I don't know how many people have seen it. Right. Um, but like Match Matchstick Man, it it has the kind of twist ending that. Because I don't, I, uh, I I like to disagree with you that the ending is, like, colors the whole film necessarily. But when it's a twist ending like that that throws the whole film into a different light, it does. Mm. And so since I hated the end of Frailty, I felt like I hated the movie. But watching it again, knowing how it ends, and watching it through those, like, uh, through those lens, through that lens, mm-hmm. uh, I found myself. Uh, uh, the movie has a lot of charms, which is a weird word for that movie. Um, but charm, I, charm, I think is a very well. It's from a film snob point of view. I think that's a very appropriate term. Yes. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's not. It's not quite polished. You know, um, Bill Paxton is a, Bill Paxton is a divisive actor. I find among my, a lot of my friends, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes I come down the other side too. But I like his, uh, I guess, sort of hamminess. Yeah. You know, because um, I feel like. With certain characters, like for, like his character in Frailty, like his character in One False Move, like Bill Henriksen on Big Love, being kind of a cornball is called for in the role. Because mm-hmm. um, part of what makes Bill Paxton's character scary in Frailty is that he's so earnest and mm-hmm. committed to doing what he thinks is right. It's like he's essentially like a cheesy, like, uh, uh, like do what you're told do-gooder except that he's doing horrible things right. but with the same sort of uh i don't know that's uh, I'm, I'm i'm summing up a little too glibly because there is a little bit more conflict than that in the movie but he still has an earnestness and believes in what he's doing and it make and it makes it scary and his performance fits the tone of the film he's yeah. making because yeah, i remember sense he directed it. there's a there's a a sequence in there that is Hitchcockian, where like one of the characters, like you just see like his floating head, right? Uh-huh. Like and like and it's very like Vertigo, like uh, James Stewart. And when you watch, you're like, that is weird. They don't make, they don't do stuff like this anymore. Don't, <laughs> do you realize that? Yeah. And he does realize that, and he's not interested. He's going to make the movie he wants yeah. to make, and it was it it had a very throwback feel to it. Yeah. So that I really before you say another one, I want to do another one that because it's the same thing. It's twist type ending. Okay. Sort of. Not as much as other films. But this is a guy who's known for his twist endings. And he made a film in 2006, I think, that everyone hated. And I didn't like it either. But talk about charms. I could watch The Lady in the Water again and find it fun. That's interesting. Okay, that's very interesting because I could watch myself punching you in the face (laughs) over and over again. I knew you were going to be one of those people I pissed (laughs) off when I said Lady in the Water. I'm not pissed. It's fine. But, um, like... For all his nutsoness, and that movie is that movie, uh, what's that? Nutsoness is yeah. how it's pronounced. Um, and like, I mean, that's one of the things. Now, I think the movie has going for it that it's so nutso. Yeah. Um, Night Shyamalan is still a good visual storyteller, or at least he was then. I didn't see the happening or the uh, Airbender. Um, 
so I don't know if that's still true. But I mean, even in the village, which I did, I I would watch Lady in the Water over the village again any day. I really dislike the village. Mm-hmm. Um, but even that, you know, the uh, the sequence where the they all have to hide and the demons or whatever they are are coming into town, like the part where people aren't talking, <laughs> that's <laughs> it's great. Yeah, and so um, and he had a. Um, I think he had Christopher Doyle as a cinematographer on Lady in the Water when he had previously used Tak Fujimoto, both brilliant mm-hmm. uh, cinematographers. And um, you feel both of their influences. He knows how to how to build a frame. You know, he knows how to cut a movie together. Uh, it's just a really stupid story mm. uh, and really stupid elements to the story and, uh, and dialogue that, like... I, you can't even believe it's happening while it's happening, <laughs> uh, and that's part of the. That's why, like, knowing that, di- that the whole dialogue th- happens to you, yeah. That's but knowing the whole thing, knowing like knowing it's going to happen, he's going to lay down on the couch. That one part where he lays down on the couch, uh, and the the Asian woman's mother, who knows the the whole story, mm-hmm. wants to tell it to him like a bedtime story. So she makes him curl up and lay down on the couch while she's telling. When I first saw it, I was like. What were you thinking when you made or wrote this? And then everyone was okay with it. It happened on the set, and now I watch it, and it has again, it has its charms because it's ridiculous. <laughs> but uh, it's a fun movie to watch, and uh, it's I mean, essentially it's just an incredibly stupid movie made well. Yeah. Oh no, I think I think he always makes his movies well. I think he's he's got a lot of polish. Uh, I think he's a very Slick almost sounds negative, but I think he's a very slick director. I think he has a sure hand, just in f- in service of terrible, terrible stories. Yeah. So anyway, um, I've only got a couple more, but uh, okay. You want to go on? Uh you know what? Actually, I think I'm good. I I I do have, of course, uh, the big one at the end, which I wanted to save. Okay. So. Well, let me. T- yeah. Uh, here's a movie that not quite as to the extent of Life Is Beautiful, but people, everyone says this movie is terrible. And I uh, find it a very enjoyable, if uh, exaggerated and overblown, genre exercise. Mm-hmm. And I think we actually talked about it on the show with uh, Pat Healy. Is John Singleton's Four Brothers? Oh yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I I think that movie's a lot of fun. <laughs> I only remember one thing. The well, snowball fight. <laughs> I remember the s- <laughs> just tricking one of the four brothers out with a snowball fight. You know you're being shot at, right? Like you know that this is a thing that could happen. But did you, did you just forget it? It's fine. It's fine. Go on. Because uh, it is a good movie. Yes, I would. Vent, I would say. Yeah, and I mean, it is a the kind of earnest uh, B movie where people, all the characters, wear their hearts on their sleeves and say what they're thinking, but in a way that uh, fits with the. Um, like it, I mean, it, I mean, it it feels like it was directed with a with a with a club. Like it's, it's just like <laughs> knocking everything into place. Like there's no uh, there's no subtlety in the movie at all. But that's 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 consistent, and so it makes it a whole piece that I can buy from from beginning to end. And you've got, I I think there's a difference, like. Uh, Cheesy performances from bad actors suck. Mm-hmm. But when you've got good actors like, uh, you know, not only Mark Wahlberg, but you've got uh, uh, Josh Charles and you've got 
uh Terrence Howard in this mm-hmm. movie, like good actors being cheesy, and is often very fun to watch. How do you say his name? Who are we talking about? Shiotel. Wait. Oh, Chibotel Ejiofor. Yeah. Oh, I was gonna say it right, but drawn out. <laughs> um, he was good too. I liked him a lot. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, look at like uh, Ronnie Cox and RoboCop. Like, that's yeah, it's an over-the-top performance, but because Ronnie Cox is a great actor, mm-hmm. you know what? I I was thinking, um, this is a little bit of an aside, but we always t- I always talk about movies from the '70s that people think of as jokes but don't realize are great, uh, like Rocky and Saturday Night Fever. Right. I would add Deliverance to that list because I don't think I feel like a lot of people haven't seen it. They just know that it's like about like the squeal like banjos and, and yeah. squeal like a pig. And um, they don't realize what a, what an amazing movie it really is. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Ronnie Cox is in that is why I mention it. Have you, you seen sh- it? Uh, no. You, I think you'd like it. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's Four Brothers. And the last one is a movie from just a couple years ago uh, that is still heavily flawed. But the more I look back on it, I actually ended up buying it on DVD because it was on sale. The more I look back on it, I realized like, this was a really daring and ambitious movie. Uh, and that's Jody Hill's Observe and Report. Mm. Uh, I thought you liked it when it came out. No, I like I said, it was the kind of thing where if I had had to choose, okay, like recommend, don't recommend, I would have said don't. Mm-hmm. But these days, I would say you should see it. it yeah, it, I it deserves to be it. seen. Yeah, it's still like I said, I don't want to. It's still very flawed. Um, but it has <laughs> that scene that we've talked about on the show before with Seth Rogen at the like the police psychologist, <laughs> and then that long monologue, <laughs> which is like. It's worth seeing for that scene alone. Yeah. Because not only is it hilarious, but it's also incredibly insightful. Like, it's a it's an insight into the character that makes you feel so sorry for him and then, like, makes you feel terrified and sickened by him. Uh, yeah, it's. I would it's, say it's probably the best performance of Seth Rogen's yeah. career. Yeah, I think so. In that, I mean, in the whole movie, but in that scene especially. Yeah. Just, yeah, it's... Yeah. There And there's a lot of... People have compared... Super to Taxi Driver and Observe and Report, oh, okay. and uh, I'd say that's about right. And uh, I got to see that. That's super directed by St. Louis and James Gunn. Yeah, that's the one. Okay, and uh, <laughs> and uh, featuring his brother, who Sean oddly Gunn? enough is not a St. Louis, and Sean Gunn. Sean Gunn is a St. Louis. Are you sure? Yeah, I feel like I'm right. Okay, okay, um, <laughs> that's who I decide to be. <laughs> Anybody who has pride about where they're from, because I'm kind of from everywhere and have no pride uh-huh. about that, uh, I don't know. Bothers me. <laughs> uh, Puts me off. Hey, I understand it if you're from somewhere else, but St. Louis is the best, so you got to be pr- proud to be from there. Sean Gunn, by the way, was Kirk on Gilmore Girls, for people who don't know, because that was a great uh, role, and it was always very I like fun. him as an actor, and he's a, he's very good in the movie as well. Good. Okay. okay. Your big one. Yeah. Drum roll. Okay. And uh, I haven't come around to the point where I love this movie like some people do. Right. But um, I think I'm I think I've moved from a C minus to a C plus, and we've mm-hmm. talked about it before, but like uh, Fight Club. Yeah. So I there are still things I don't like about it, and I'm not even sure if I would go so far as to rec recommend it. You know what, actually I think I would recommend it because I feel like the things that it does well, which is the way in which it's edited and that sort of thing. Um, from a filmmaking point of view, I think it's very good. My big problem with it always was and still remains the way in which it's getting across its message and how 
I feel like the way in which the film is made undercuts the message that it's trying to get across. But if you were to look at it solely from the point of view of craftsmanship and performance and uh, and writing, um, I think it's I, I would say it is it is recommendable. The, but that's the thing is like the big caveat is like, but it's in service is in service of ideas that I agree with. But you would never know it. In fact, you you could walk away completely uh, misinterpreting what that film is about. Mm-hmm. But part of me is like, eh, a lot of the movies I like, people could misinterpret. Um, so I don't know. I I've come around on it, which is say I don't think I ha- you know I used to say like I hate the movie, and I don't think I hate it. Um, and it is not. I've come around to the point where it's like it is not without its merits. There is there is some stuff there that I think is is recommendable, but I'm not sure yeah. if I'm yet to the point where I say everyone should see it. I don't know. I I feel like people should watch it in, like, film school. I don't know. What do you think? I think um, whether I like it or not, it's going to end up being seen as a very important film mm-hmm. because, um, well, inarguably, David Fincher is becoming... I mean, he's been around for a while, but he's becoming one of the most important American directors after yeah. after Zodiac and Social Network. Um, and obviously, Seven was great mm-hmm. uh, as well. Um, it's kind of undeniable, I think. Uh, like, I mean, on this, I've, I say this every time it comes up, but on the strength of Zodiac alone, he's yeah. a Hall of Famer because that's one of the best American films of the decade. Um, and because Fight Club is such a big movie in his resume, it's never going to be forgotten. Yeah. So I think it's always going to be... So, like, you know, Hitchcock is a great director, and he has movies like The Birds that I don't like but are seen as classics because they were big movies, and mm-hmm. Hitchcock made them. And I feel like Fight Club spoke to a lot of people, and it was made by a guy who's one of the best. So it's going to go down like like The Birds. It's going to be a movie that's remembered. And I think I think when people look back on his entire career, I think they will see that because when I think of when I think of David, admittedly, I did not see a Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Oh yeah, neither did I. But uh, but when I think of David Fincher now, I think of him as restrained. I think of him as a restrained director. That's what I like about Zodiac. It's what I like about Social Network. Yeah, is that he doesn't go as far as as other directors might. But you would never think of that. You would never think the word restrained, even from seven. Um, yeah. And so I think it'd be interesting. Or from, like, I mean, Alien 3 and, and Panic Room, which... And the game, you know. Yeah. Actually, I think the game is somewhat restrained, but I think that's Given just, the story it is, I think, yeah. I think it's a lean story. Um, Panic Room, on the other hand, should be a restrained movie because it should be claustrophobic, and yeah. it's ridiculous. And the, and so I really I, feel like that was a big misstep, that movie. And I like parts of Panic Room, but, like, it's... I think it's... I think Forrest Whitaker's great in it. Yeah, and Dwight Yoakam. I really like Dwight oh, yeah. Yoakam in it. But, um, in fact, all three of them, even Jared Leto's pretty good because he's that character that is always necessary <laughs> yeah. in a movie like that. But, um, but when you Dwight watch... Yoakam ever not been great in a movie? No. Like, off the top of my head, Panic Room, Red Rock West, and, of course, Sling Blade. Mm-hmm. Like, right there. Yeah. How we great is do a profile in him. Yeah. I would do it. <laughs> oh, right. This is exciting. Um, let's push Murnau back again. Uh, so... Uh, but when when people look back on Fincher's career, they will look at like that he as a director was still developing with Fight Club, and Fight Club is very excessive 
in a lot of ways in its style and the type of story it's trying to tell. And it's like he sort of had to get that and Panic Room out of his system before he could finally decide the type of director he was going to be, which was not necessarily economical because you can't shoot 99 takes of a scene and be called economical. Uh-huh. But um, but he knows when to scale back. He knows when to move forward. Like he just, I don't know. He I think he gained perspective and I feel like he had to sort of push himself completely with movies like Fight Club for him to finally get to a point we, where he could make Zodiac. So, but yes, and so for that, for these various reasons, I, I, I look somewhat favorably on, on Fight Club, whereas I, I previously didn't. Like I said, I wouldn't go so far as say I've come around on it and embraced it the way I have some of these other movies. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so I wanted to throw that one out there at the end. Okay. Um, look at my list to see if there's anything I missed. Oh, I didn't talk about um, L.A. Confidential, which I literally watched on video the day I finished the book, mm-hmm. and so uh, yeah, bad, bad. It choice. was a bad choice, and and so when I saw it again later, I of course loved it because it's it's great. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's Curtis Hanson's best film, right? Yes, uh, yes. I think. What were you so. going to say in her shoes? I like in her shoes, but I, no, I wasn't I going like, to say. Um, I like Wonder Boys and I like Eight Mile, but yeah, L.A. Confidential. Yeah, Eight Mile is really good. I should watch that again. I was actually just thinking about it uh, the other day. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, that's it. Yeah, that's it. We got. I gotta go. Oh yeah, uh, you can get us at battleshipretention.com dot uh, com or in iTunes. You can email us David at battleshipretention.com dot com or Tyler at battleshipretention.com. dot com. You can find me on Twitter at twitter dot com slash the pretension, or you can find Tyler on Twitter at twitter dot com slash more lessons, the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which you can find at more than one lesson dot com or in iTunes. And you can find my other podcast, the weekly television review podcast, previously on at previouslyonshow dot com or in iTunes. All right, thank uh, you for listening. Th- yeah, and thanks everybody once again for donating. Yeah. Uh, it really means a lot, and we really appreciate it. Uh, congrats to all the winners, <laughs> whose names I uh, you know what I don't even need to repeat. Uh, <laughs> so because they're so distinct. Uh, yeah, and uh, we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.